Well, good morning. I want to welcome you back to our major series through the Minor Prophets. We've been focusing in on the Minor Prophet Amos, and uh, we are up to halfway through chapter 5, if you've been following along, if you've been with us throughout the series. And by this point, you know, we're kind of at that midway point as far as the, the book is concerned. Um, but at this point, you probably have noticed something about Amos and his style of preaching. Uh, he really seems to like people, uh, to make people feel uncomfortable as he preaches. At least that's how I uh, feel as I read through some of the things that he writes and the way that he says them. Uh, making people feel uncomfortable is a specialty that I'm noticing with Amos' preaching. And that, that uncomfortable feeling, uh, some of it just comes from the nature of what he's talking about. He's talking about judgment, the judgment of God. And I, I think you would agree with me that when we talk about the judgment of God, it's not a comfortable topic. That's not something that has a tendency to make people feel comfortable. But Amos specifically condemns their lifestyle of comfort. That's what I find ironic about it. He, he makes us feel uncomfortable. But one of the reasons why God's judgment is coming to the Israelites is their, their lifestyle of comfort. He keeps coming back to that as one of the reasons why God's judgment is, is coming. And I got to thinking about the idea of, of comfort in and of itself uh, wait a minute, does that mean it's, it's not okay to be comfortable? Is, is, is comfort a bad thing in and of itself? Should, uh, should I start wearing pants that don't fit so my day is just kind of miserable? Uh, should I, when I'm at home, sit on the floor instead of the comfy couch so that uh, I'm not comfortable? Uh, maybe, uh, maybe we should get rid of the, the seats here and we'll just all sit on the floor. Maybe we can get those those wooden benches that they have in Africa that are super uncomfortable. We could do something like that. Uh, maybe, maybe I could write a strongly worded letter to the My Pillow guy and tell him, "You need to quit tempting us with the best night's sleep of our lives. We've had enough of it. We will sleep on the floor and be uncomfortable because that's the godly thing to do." Well, I don't think that is what Amos is getting at. I don't think that is the problem that he is. Addressing. If you would open your Bibles with me to Amos chapter 6, verse 1, let's see if we can't get to the heart of the problem as it uh, is uh, brought to us through th these really interesting words of Amos. Amos 6, verse 1. What sorrow awaits you who lounge in luxury in Jerusalem and who feel secure in Samaria? If you have a King James Bible or a New King James Bible, you might have a different phrase there. You might have the phrase, a life of ease. I think the New American Standard or the ESV, one of them, uses that same phrase, a life of ease. And this level of comfort is connected to this idea of security. There's a level, there's a level of comfort that they're enjoying and their security is uh, connected to that comfort level. That's why I like the way the NIV translates that first verse. They translate it like this. It's on the screen for you. Woe 
to you who are complacent. That word complacent really captures this idea of comfort, which in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing, but when our security is connected to that level of comfort, it can turn into complacency. And that is the problem. Experiencing comfort in and of itself doesn't necessarily mean that we have a sin problem or that we're, uh, we're drifting away in our relationship with God. The problem comes when we allow that level of comfort to move our hearts into this place of complacency. So let's talk about that word, because it's not a word that we necessarily use uh, every day. When I first read it, uh, when I was studying through uh, the, the Hebrew and, and trying to get a, a good understanding of, of what Amos was trying to communicate, uh, the word itself, complacency, I was imagining or, or I was connecting it to apathy. I was connecting it in my mind when I first read it to indifference. And it's really not that. It is on some level some apathy uh, and, and indifference, but not in the form of I just don't give a rip, I don't care about anybody but myself. That's not really what complacency is. Complacency is not as much uh, connected to a, a total feeling of indifference as it is connected to pride. At its core, complacency is rooted in pride. Complacency is when we become so comfortable that we begin to feel secure. That's why uh, that word, uh, life of ease or, or, or luxury, is connected to this idea of you, you feel so secure as you're sitting here in your life of ease, your, your life of luxury. You're so comfortable that it becomes this problem. We begin to feel overconfident in ourselves. And it becomes this attitude that says, I don't need God. I have all that I need because I have enough money, I have enough influence, I have enough pleasure. My life is comfortable, my life is complete. I don't need God to make it better. That's complacency. And that heart attitude is rooted in pride. And yes, in case you were wondering, in case for some reason you might be confused, pride is a sin to be avoided, not a virtue to be celebrated. Maybe you're hearing a different message uh, some places this month, but God says that pride is sinful. Proverbs, I'll just read a couple verses to you. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 13 all who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, God says, I hate pride and arrogance and corruption and perverse speech. There's no doubt that God hates pride. If you go to verse or chapter 16 of Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. That doesn't sound to me like a virtue to be celebrated. In the New Testament, in Romans chapter 12, Paul reminds us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And this idea of complacency where, uh, where pride 
uh, in our comfort takes us to this place where we feel like we don't need God. I don't need God's permission. I don't need God's input. I've got this. I know what I'm doing because I'm awesome. Look at my life. I have everything that I need. Why would I need God? Pride is not something that is good for our lives, and God hates it. Complacency, if you think of it like this, it is a prideful comfort that no longer feels answerable to God, that no longer feels answerable to the demands of truth. As I started to have a a better understanding of this idea, this this, uh, concept of complacency, I thought, whew, well, at least you'll never find complacency in a church, right? You'll never find it there. Well, one of the most vivid case studies that you will find on, a, on, on complacency in the Bible is found in church, in Laodicea, in Revelation chapter 3. You might be familiar with that. Revelation chapter 3, Jesus told John, who wrote the book of Revelation, to write these letters to seven different churches. One of them was the church of Laodicea. And this is what Jesus says to that church. This is Revelation chapter 3, verse. I'm going to start in verse 15. Jesus says, I know all the things you do. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you, the literal meaning there, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Well, there's this this complacency that Jesus sees in the people in this church. And he says, uh, where, where it's coming from, he says, you say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. This prideful comfort that turns into complacency. But he says, that's a problem. Jesus says, you don't realize that you're, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. Well, how do we resolve this? He says, I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. Also, buy white garments from me so you'll not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so that you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent. Turn from your indifference. Look, Jesus says, I I stand at the door and I knock. If, If you hear my voice... And open the door, I'll come in and and we'll share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Jesus describes the people in this church like lukewarm water. They're They're not like hot water that can cleanse and purify. They're not like cold water that can refresh. They're like lukewarm water that's disgusting and makes Jesus want to vomit. And I I read that, and I think, boy, I wonder if Jesus and Amos had the same preaching professor. They seem to be able to make people feel uncomfortable in their message. But it was a message they needed to hear. What's the problem in Laodicea? The problem was that their wealth, their comfort, had moved their hearts to this place of self-sufficiency. It took the form of complacency. They, they no longer felt like they needed God. And that pride 
led their hearts to this place where they no longer felt answerable to God, where they no longer felt answerable to the demands of truth on their lives. And the fact that Jesus describes himself as standing outside the church, he's, he's describing himself as, as knocking on the door, asking to be invited in. It, it seems to paint this picture of a church that was full of unsaved, pretend Christians that were unconcerned about their relationship with Jesus in their lives. And, and admittedly, that's not a comfortable thought, is it? So here's a deep thought question for us. How do we, how do we enjoy the blessings of God? And, and I believe that comfort can be a blessing from God. How do we enjoy the blessings of God, including comfort, without allowing pride to turn that comfort into complacency? How do we do that? Well, I think we start with what Jesus said. Jesus gives three very specific, I think very practical instructions for how we can, if we've already, uh, if we've already allowed our comfort through pride to, uh, to turn into complacency, how do we fix that? And, and I think also what he says here in the text in Revelation, how do we avoid it in the first place? Because he talks about repentance. That's the first thing he talks about. Repent, come back. Confess the sin of pride, confess the sin of complacency, and come back to a dependence on God for comfort, a dependence on God for our security. So there's repentance involved, but also, did you notice when he says, buy gold for me, buy the white garments and the, and the eye salve, what he's describing there is restoring this value of our relationship with Jesus uh, inviting Jesus to do everyday life with us. In other words, uh, we place, we decide in our hearts and our minds, we're going to place such a high value on our relationship with Jesus that it becomes this incredible priority in our lives. It's more important to us than all of these other things that compete for our attention, that compete for our hearts. He says you need to restore that value in your relationship with him. So there's repentance. There's, there's this high value placed on a relationship with Christ. The third thing that I see in what Jesus is describing there is just this return to a lifestyle of righteousness. Getting rid of this pride that says, I don't need you, God, to run my life. I'm awesome. Look at what I have. My life is comfortable. My life is complete. I don't need God to provide security. I don't need God to provide comfort in my life. I have all of that in all the things that I've created for myself. He says, you need to get rid of that because that leads to this heart that, that is not interested, not only in a relationship with Christ, but not interested in following Christ. And that's where the problem comes in. That's what complacency looks like. So if we want to protect our hearts from this complacency, there's repentance involved, there's restoring this value in our relationship with him and returning to this lifestyle of righteousness. And as I read the words of Jesus, as I reflect on his instructions, I, I think we, we need to ask ourselves, well, how, how do I check my heart for this? How do you and I check our hearts for complacency 
Because to be honest with you, it makes me a little uncomfortable when I think about the fact that the Israelites in the days of Amos, they apparently didn't know that their hearts had become complacent. They didn't know that that had happened to them. They weren't aware of it. That's why it was so shocking to hear. Apparently, the, the, the church people, these people that are gathering together uh, week after week or however often they were getting together in Laodicea, they, they didn't realize that their hearts had become complacent. And that's unsettling to me, to know that this can happen and you're not aware of it. So how do we know if, if somewhere along the way that pride has infected our comfort because comfort in and of itself can be a really good thing. How do we know if pride has infected that comfort and turned it into complacency? We'll go back and think about what Jesus said and what we're seeing in, in the book of Amos. And, and I think the first place we look, if we're going to check for that, the first pl- place that we look is at our lifestyle. Does our lifestyle match up with the standards of God's truth? I want to take you to one of the most, at least for me, the most uncomfortable. I'm sure that you could probably argue there's other ones, but this one for me in Matthew chapter 7 is one of the most uncomfortable passages in Scripture, especially in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 7, I'll start in verse 15, kind of set the stage. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but they're really vicious wolves. Well, how do you identify them? How do you know? He says, you can identify them by their fruit. What are you talking about their fruit? Well, that is by the way they act, their lifestyle choices, their behaviors. Can you pick grapes from a thorn bush or figs from thistles? Well, obviously the answer is no. He says a good tree produces good fruit, a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. A bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit, it's chopped down, it's thrown to the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. So you get the point Jesus is making? It's pretty simple. Then he says this in verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But Jesus says, I will reply, I never knew you. Well, that's unsettling. That's not comfortable. Jesus says, get away from me, you who break God's laws. And you go back and you think about what Jesus said in the previous verses. You'll know them by their fruit. Just because someone shows up to a particular building week after week doesn't necessarily mean that person is a follower of Jesus Christ. So the first place we need to look to see if if we truly are saved, if you want to use that phrase, if we truly are uh, a follower of Christ that, that has trusted Christ, not only to rescue our soul from hell, but transform our lives, the first place we should look is the evidence that we would see in our lifestyle choices. 
Because if we don't give a rip and, uh, about what God thinks and, and we just do whatever it is that we want to do or we rationalize uh, the, the choices that we're making, well, that would be evidence that uh, there's something not right in our hearts. It's not my place to judge your salvation. I'm just saying there's something not right in our hearts. If our lifestyle choices don't match up with the standards that God has set for us. So the first place we look for complacency is in our lifestyle. Here's the second place I think we can look. We can look for our tendency towards comparison. Our tendency towards comparison. Because it's so easy to find someone that we would view as smaller, someone that we would view as weaker, not as cool as us, not as important as us, not as good as us. And we say in our minds, we say in our hearts, well, yeah, I'm not where I should be. I'm not, uh, I'm not spiritually where I should be. I'll admit that, but at least I'm not as bad as him. At least I'm not as terrible as her. Well, that comparison leads us into a heart of pride. And pride leads to a heart attitude that says, my desires are more important than God's values. And that leads to a complacent life. So, when we catch ourselves, and we have, to, we have to self-evaluate this, when we catch ourselves thinking, my bike is better than your bike. I'm awesome because I'm a better athlete than all of these scrubs around me. I'm better looking than all of these toads on social media. My job is more impressive than yours. My kids are way cooler than your kids. Comparisons like that are rooted in pride, and pride will infect our comfort and turn it into complacency. So it's important for us to look at our lifestyle and be honest about our tendency. Are we making comparisons where we're putting ourselves, yeah, uh, I'm not the best, but I'm better than this person. Has pride infected our hearts and turned comfort into complacency? I think the next question that maybe some of you are asking is, so what? What's the big deal? Why should I care if complacency, if pride has infected my heart? I want to go back to Amos chapter 5, the second part of that chapter, starting in verse 18. Amos writes, What sorrow awaits you who say, If only the day of the Lord were here. You have no idea what you're wishing for. That day, what day? The day of the Lord, the day of judgment. That day will bring darkness, not light. In that day, you will be like a man who runs from a lion only to meet a bear. And then you escape the bear and you lean your hand against the wall in your house and you get bit by a snake. That's a bad day. Escaping from the bear, he leans against the wall in his house, bitten by a snake. He says, yes, the day of the Lord will be dark and hopeless without a ray of joy or hope. Does that sound comfortable? No, it was not. The message of Amos is that God's judgment 
is coming. And who will it affect? Well, according to everything that we've been reading, including verse 1 of chapter 6, the complacent. And the rest of the book of Amos is pretty much this continued description of, of what God's judgment will look like for Israel. I think by now you get the picture. But I want us to consider this phrase that we see, the day of the Lord, because that's how God's future coming judgment is described throughout Scripture. It's described with this phrase, the day of the Lord. There are prophecies that are still yet to be fulfilled about God's coming judgment on the world. And they are often referred to as the day of the Lord. And who, according to Scripture, who will be impacted by that coming judgment? Well, time and time again, you see it is the complacent. Those who in their pride have rejected Jesus. Those who in their pride no longer feel answerable to God. Those who in their pride ignore the demands of truth. The church of Laodicea, I think, is an uncomfortable reminder to us that the complacent can even sometimes be found in churches. And that should be a little unsettling. That should make us a little uncomfortable. We want to make sure that comfort doesn't turn into complacency. Angie and I are celebrating 25 years of marriage next month. And I can say that one of the things that I love most about our marriage is that we are comfortable with each other. And what I mean by that is, is we, we don't have to try to be something that we aren't when we're around each other. We both know that we are imperfect, that we are flawed people. We don't have to pretend or try to uh, trick the other person into thinking that we are better than we are. There's just this beautiful comfort in our marriage where we can look at each other and say, when I'm with you, I'm home. And if you think that's cheesy or you want to gag on the floor, that's fine, whatever, I don't care. That's how I feel about our marriage. But I think the reason that we have that blessing of comfort in our marriage is because we have both throughout the years, we have just decided, we have refused to allow that comfort to become complacency. This prideful attitude that thinks that we don't need God's strength in our marriage. This prideful attitude that thinks that we don't, that we don't need to evaluate our marriage from time to time to inspect our own hearts for sin or, or pride. And I think that's what Jesus was trying to illustrate with this, this image. It's kind of haunting when you think about it, of Jesus standing outside, knocking, asking to come in. What is, what is he asking us? What is he inviting us to uh, to enjoy, he's inviting us to enjoy a very comfortable life with him. What's he say? Let me, let me in and, and I'll sit down. We'll have a meal together. We'll do life 
together. And the way he describes it sounds very comfortable. This life of dependence on him for our security, for our identity, for our comfort. If you're looking for a comfortable life, I think most of us, uh, on some level, we would, we would say, yeah, I, I want a comfortable life. If we're looking for a comfortable life that is free from complacency, we're only going to find it in our relationship with Jesus. See, when our relationship with Jesus is strong, when, when you and I, when we decide in our minds, in our hearts, that we're going to put this high value on our relationship with him, then it's not going to matter how much money we do or don't have. It's not going to matter how much political influence we do or don't have. It's not going to matter how many people think that we are awesome on Instagram. We will be comfortable in who we are in Christ. We will be comfortable with what we have in Christ. We will be comfortable in where our life is headed and, and, and comfortable in, in where our soul will spend eternity. All of these things, we will feel comfortable in ourselves when we are in Christ. Because Jesus will be enough. And so I, I guess I'll leave you with this question. It's one I've been asking myself as I've been studying through this. Where are you? Where are you at this morning with this? I can't answer that for you. I've, I've been wrestling with it in my own heart. Where are you at with this this morning? Are you comfortable in who you are in Christ? Is Jesus enough? Or has your heart somewhere along the way become complacent? I think it's a question worth answering a question worth uh, honestly evaluating. Because you can see where, where, where this leads, right? You see where this leads? For those who just continue to be complacent, it doesn't end well. It's not what I want for my life. It's not what I want for your life. So I think we take time uh, today, we take time this week, and we honestly ask Jesus to help us evaluate this in our hearts.